0: Hi, I'm Pastor Kyle Carlson, and you're listening to a message from Imprint Community Church in Northeast Baltimore. I pray that this message will encourage you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Visit us online at imprintcommunity.org, and worship with us in person on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Seven Oaks Elementary School. Enjoy the message. I'm going to invite you to take a copy of God's Word and turn, please, to 1 Samuel chapter 29. As we journey through this book, we've seen David, the anointed of God, uh, who's been on the run, living as a fugitive um, from Saul, who's the current king of Israel, who is uh, angry and bitter and jealous of David, uh, and so he's determined to kill him. And so David, and he's got about 600 men now, are living in caves and hillsides and been on the run from Saul. Most recently... We saw, back in chapter 7, we saw that David had the bright idea to go and live with the Philistines. The Philistines being the, the, the biggest and most powerful enemy of Israel at this time. David decided he had nowhere else to go, and so he would go and ally himself with the king of Gath, this big Philistine city in the north of their territory, just south of Israel. And so he has... Gone and uh, made friends, if you will, with Achish, the king of Gath, and uh, and and Achish gave him a, a, a city, kind of out in the country, for him and his men to live and kind of be, uh, kind of conduct their own affairs and kind of stay out of everyone's business. And it's been, a seemingly, a peaceful arrangement, at least in terms of, the relationship between David and Achish. Meanwhile, while they're living there, David is is conducting raids. On, the, on these various tribes of people who are enemies of Israel. So he's living among the Philistines, but then attacking the Amalekites and several other kind of peoples uh, that are enemies of God, enemies of Israel. And then he would bring spoils of them back to Achish and then Akish would say where did you get these spoils from David was lying to Akish and saying oh i've been attacking the people of israel right so there were these tribes uh, of that are either israelites or friends of the israelites uh, i've been attacking them and stealing all of their stuff and so akish believes totally believes that that david is a 100% loyal philistine mercenary at this point so he is Absolutely so. David is mine. David has been serving me faithfully forever. Uh, he said he has made himself an utter stench in the nostrils of his people. So Achish, the Philistine king, rec- sees David as kind of his new best friend. Like we've got this strong, mighty man of uh, battle and he's got this army that's devoted to him and they are serving the Philistine cause. That's what Achish believes. In fact, he believed that so much That as chapter 27 ended, and actually the first two verses of chapter 28, Achish let David know, hey, the Philistines are mounting a huge military raid against the nation of Israel. And in fact, all of the cities of Philistia are uniting our forces together, those five big cities of Philistia, and we are going to go and get Israel, right? So this is a huge, a massive military operation. And he says, guess what, David? You're coming with me. You get to go and fight by my side for Philistia against Israel. Which puts David in quite the predicament. Because, you see, David has been anointed to become the king of Israel. Israel is God's covenant people. David is God's chosen leader for Israel. Israel. And now he finds himself in the situation because of his own sort of double dealing with Achish. He finds himself in the situation now where he is being asked and expected to fight alongside the Philistines against the people of God, against the nation of Israel. And the writer of 1 Samuel kind of gave us that cliffhanger. How is David going to get out of this mess? And then he went and talked about Saul for a chapter. So last time we were in chapter 28 and, uh, and, and the camera, if you will, is now focused on Saul and his desperation on the eve of battle. So Saul knows that these Philistine forces are gathering and are about to mount this huge uh, attack on Israel and he is out of ideas. He's desperate, he knows he's, out, he's overmatched and so he secretly by night goes to a medium somebody who was known to conjure up the spirits of the dead, which was a forbidden practice by God. And in fact, at some point in Saul's kingship, he had kicked them out of the country. And so he goes out of the country to find somebody who's practicing illegally uh, in order to try to summon up Samuel to get some kind of guidance. He did. God, strangely, interestingly, granted that request and brought Samuel's spirit, the prophet, back from the dead, to tell Saul, I'm not going to help you. (laughs) Essentially. He just reiterated the judgment that God had already given upon Saul by rejecting him as king. And he gave the additional detail, by the way, you and your sons will die in this battle. So, and then Samuel left. And Saul was left in this heap of despair, knowing what's coming. And so now... The camera pans back to David in Philistia as the Philistine forces are gathering and we get an answer to the question, what is David going to do? How is David going to get out of this mess? So let's read uh, the first three or so verses, really two and a half verses, I'll I'll pause just to set the scene here of chapter 29. Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek. And the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish, the commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And we'll pause right there. So they're, the Philistines are gathering at Aphek, all their forces. Again, this reiterates, this is no like little border raid. This is all of the military forces of the five cities of Philistia marching against Israel. This is domination that they're after. And all the the soldiers are, the forces are gathering and apparently there's this review where each troop uh, or each group of of armies kind of walks by and the commanders, the leaders of each of the cities are kind of just watching and making sure that everybody's accounted for, you know, everybody's in order, we've got all our troops in place. And as they're the ranks of soldiers are parading by for final review um, with David and his men among them at the back, right, bringing up the rear with Achish. The commanders of the other Philistine cities notice them and take offense. What are these Hebrews doing here? Why do we have these Hebrews among our fighting force? And it's an apt question for them to ask what are the people of God doing among the pagans? The Philistines' incredulity, the sense of like what are they doing? Why are they here? Their incredulity at David's presence in their ranks is a reminder to us of David's foolishness in seeking refuge among them in the first place. He had no business making allies with the enemies of God's people and so we're reminded at the Philistines' own sort of shock to see David and his men among them, that David and his men really had no right to be there in the first place. And we might apply the same logic to our own lives. If we're inclined toward casual entanglements with ungodly people or tempted toward dallying with worldly pleasures, what are these Christians doing among the world, we might ask of ourselves james four four tells us friendship with the world means enmity against God, and of course he 's not speaking there in terms of building relationships and seeking to bring a light and truth and the gospel into places where where it 's needed and to relationships with people that don 't yet know him but it's it 's speaking here of of a casual sort of a pleasure seeking relationship with somebody who is hostile to God or a a, a worldly environment where the ways of God are dishonored or spurned. That's the situation with David among the Philistines. These Philistines are worshipers of false gods. They are wicked people. And so he has made friends with them. So James might say to him, friendship with the world means enmity with God. So we need to be reminded of our place as called out people of God, right? We, We are to as Jesus said, to be in the world but not of the world. And There's a distinction to be made even while we take care to, to, to steward the relationships and opportunities that God gives us in the world uh, to bring the light of the gospel there. So what are these Hebrews doing here? Fair question for them to ask and say they question Achish and challenge him directly on this uh, this matter. Let's look at how this unfolds, beginning there in the middle of verse 3 after it says, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years? And since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. So Achish begins to defend David. Like, he's been with me for a long time now. Days and years is a vague term. We actually know from what the author told us in chapter 27 that he lived for uh, 16 months among the people of uh, Philistia. So it's been maybe a little less than that. So we're thinking probably somewhere just over a year that David has been uh, in Ziklag, the city that, that... uh, Akish had given to him. And so he said, this is David, the servant of Saul. He's been living with me for, you know, over a year now and, and serving me and, and doing well. Like, a, you know, he's, he's been a good ally to us, and a good friend to us. And so he tries to defend David to them, but he, pr- he doesn't really do himself any favors by reminding them, yeah, this is David, the, uh, the servant of, of Saul, the king of Israel, right? So now they've got, their the wheels are turning, right? And they're making these connections as to who David is. It's not just a random Hebrew, This is David. This is the guy who was the servant of Saul and who fought many battles, indeed, against the Philistines. Let's look look at how they respond in verse 4. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. They're angry with Achish. How could you be so foolish? They're angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, send the man back that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his lord? That is to Saul, his king. Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is not this David of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And so the commanders of the other Philistine armies are not sold by Achish's defense of David. And they've apparently heard the hit song that's been playing on Israelite radio all around the land. Saul has slain his thousands. David his ten thousands. Right? So David is a military hero for Israel. And they're singing songs that celebrate all of his victories and all of his fights and military conquests, many of them against the people of Philistia. Right? So this is not lost on them. We know what David's capable of. And in fact, We've seen David fight against the Philistines successfully and bring lots of Philistine uh, heads and other body parts back to the king of Israel. Um, So they, they recognize what David is capable of. And they recognize and say here to Achish, Uh, David, as a defector from Israel and being at odds with Saul, could possibly get himself back into Saul's good graces by turning against the Philistines in battle and gifting the Israelite king with a bunch of Philistine heads. And they might remember that he's done that before too. In fact, it was uh, the champion of Gath, Goliath, that David had killed with a stone and then beheaded with his own sword just a few chapters earlier. So they probably remember all of this and go, this is the guy that you're trusting to come into battle with us and fight against his own people? It's nonsense. Just as David was sort of a fool to go and ally himself with Achish in the first place, the other Philistine commanders see the picture clearly enough to say, Achish, you are acting like a fool here to trust David and his men to fight with us instead of against us. And so David is rejected by the Philistine generals, the leaders of their armies, and they force Achish to send him and his men home to Ziklag, where they had been living. Achish defends David, but reluctantly concedes the argument and goes along with their insistence. Matthew Henry, the Puritan commentator, says, A door opened for his deliverance, out of this strait, that is this dilemma. God inclined the hearts of the princes of the Philistines to oppose his being employed in the battle and to insist upon his being dismissed. Thus their enmity befriended him when no friend he had was capable of doing him such a kindness. And so in the strange and merciful providence of God, the enemies of God's people and of David... Become his savior. So how does David get himself out of this mess? He doesn't. God gets him out of this mess through the turning of the Philistines' hearts against him. So now the remainder of this chapter is taken up with Achish going back, going to David, and basically reporting the bad news. Bad news. <laughs> We're like, uh, it's not as bad as you think it is, Achish. So look at uh, verse six. We'll read 6 through 11, and then we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, by the way, I'll pause right here, Lord, all caps, is Yahweh, the name, the covenant name of God. It's the only time in this chapter that it's used. God is only explicitly mentioned right here on the lips of Achish, the pagan king of Gath. Interesting. Then Achish called David and said to him, As Yahweh lives, you have been honest. And to me it seems right that you should march out and in with me in the campaign. For I have found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. So go back now and go peaceably, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And David said to Achish, But what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? And Achish answered David and said, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, He shall not go up with us to the battle. Now then, rise early in the morning with the servants of your lord who came with you, and start early in the morning, and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. But the Philistines went up to Jezreel. So Achish reports to David that the other generals have rejected him and tells him to go home. And David's initial response is to argue with him. Wait, what have I done? Why are you sending me back? And at some level we're kind of like, shut up David! What are you doing? Just take it and go, right? You've got your out. Akish is telling you that the other Philistine commanders don't want you to go. Just take the get out of jail free card and get out of here. But he's probably continuing the the ruse here, the, uh, continuing to try to convince Akish of his innocence and his devotion to Akish. And if he had been maybe too easily dismissed, okay, yeah, sure, no problem, all this. I'll just go back home then. Then maybe Akish would suspect something. I don't know. So maybe he's just kind of playing the part of the shocked and offended, loyal servant, right? Um, he also might be digging a little bit. So, because Akish doesn't really tell them why the Philistine commanders don't want him to go. So it could be that he's a little nervous that some of the other Philistines have heard about what David's doing. So maybe he's going, well, what have I done? And, and kind of digging to find out what they tell you. Did they tell you anything that is, that, was suspicious or that disagrees with what I've been telling you that I've been doing. So it could be that he's just sort of trying to make sure that uh, he's not actually in trouble with Akish. At any rate, he argues, what, what, what have I done? Why, why have I, what have I done that's displeased you or, or uh, that, that's been disloyal uh, that I might not go out, by the way, middle of verse eight, that I might not go and fight against the enemies of my Lord, the King. <laughs> and there again, we have a vague, non-committal phrase that could be interpreted in either direction. Just like he said back in verse 2 when Achish said, you're going to come with me and fight against, uh, against Israel. He said, you will see what your servant can do. Achish took that to mean like, oh man, he's all the way in. He's going to fight hard for us. He could have meant the exact opposite. Yeah, right, I'm going to fight actually against you for Israel. He does the same kind of thing here. All right, well, I, I can't go out then and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king. Well, who's his lord? Who, which king is he talking about? Is he talking about Achish? He's talking about Saul. Akish obviously takes him to mean that as an expression of devotion to himself. Oh, David really wants to fight for me, you know. <laughs> Maybe that's not what David had in mind at all. Nevertheless, Akish insists that in his sight, David is as, as blameless as an angel of God. And I think there he's referring to his faithfulness, his, his devotion, right? And just as an angel faithfully serves God and does his bidding, you have been so faithful and, and loyal to me. So I know that you are as blameless as an angel of God. He gives no hint of awareness of David's double dealing. But because of the other commander's disapproval of David, Achish sends him home. And notice when he sends him home. Early in the morning. He says, rise early in the morning. Start early in the morning. Depart as soon as you have light. And I think here we have from the author of 1 Samuel a very intentional contrast with the way that Saul's dilemma ended in chapter 28. Saul, of course, had gone by cover of night to meet with the the medium at Endor and got the bad news from Samuel that he would not be helped and, in fact, he and his sons would fall in battle. And then if you look at the end of of chapter 28, it says, uh, so the medium actually prepared a meal for Saul. Verse 25, She put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate, and they rose and went away that night. Saul, stumbles out of the witch's cave in the black of night back to his armies and the fate that he knows awaits him the next day in battle. But David rises in the light of day and rides in peace back home, rescued from the battle altogether. So we have a very clear contrast between the rejected Saul and the end of his dilemma. Basically, he is his downfall is complete here and he is going out into darkness to a hopeless situation where he will die while David is mercifully rescued by the providence of God and in the light of day sent back home and spared the battle altogether does God preserve his anointed does God keep his promises does God provide for his people praise God he does And so here we have our answer to the cliffhanger that we were left with at the end of chapter 27. David has entangled himself with the Philistines to such an extent that he has been tasked with fighting against Israel on behalf of the Philistines. How is he going to get out of this? The answer, by the surprising and creative providence of God, David's enemies will become his savior. And he is sent back home by the Philistine commanders themselves. I want to make a few comments here about the providence of God. Again, God is only named in this chapter one time, and that by Achish, the Philistine king. But nevertheless, God's quiet, invisible, behind-the-scenes work is kind of the main character in the story. He is so plainly seen through the actions and decisions and conversations that this chapter reports to us. So, I want to give you four ways that we see God's providence, that is the way that he meticulously and sovereignly interacts with his world and his creatures, uh, the way that we see his providence evident in David's rejection by the Philistines. Number one, the basis of the Philistines' rejection of David is, at least in part, his past conquests of Philistine armies on behalf of Yahweh and of King Saul, whose battles were those? The Lord's, who empowered David for victory. Remember all those times when we were looking at, we were seeing David fight battles for Saul. It said over and over, the hand of the Lord was with David. The reason David had such success in the first place and was able to defeat Philistines so, so, uh, so successfully is because God had thus empowered him to do that. It was God's grace, God's power, God's presence with him that gave him that victory in the first place. And that is the basis on which the Philistine commanders go, we don't trust him because he's killed too many Philistines for us to really welcome him into battle with us. And so you see God's providence even leading up to In in, in the, the months and years prior to these events, his providence in the history, so to speak, of David and the Philistines, leading to the Philistines' rejection of David. So God's providence, even in the background, even in the past, if you will, playing out now. Number two, the hearts of the Philistine commanders are united against David, which is clearly a result of the internal workings of God upon them. Proverbs 21 verse 1 tells us the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. If God wants the kings of the Philistine armies, the generals of the Philistine armies to turn against David and send him home, that's what they will do. There's perfectly rational reasons for it. It comes as their own decision. They look back and go, look how many Philistines David has killed. And they listen to Achish and they go, I'm not sure that you're really looking at the situation well. It's not reasonable for us to trust that he's going to fight for us instead of against us, right? So they make their own decision. No, we're not going to let David come into battle with us. But make no mistake, back behind the scenes, even in the the inner thoughts of these Philistine commanders is the work of God. He turns the heart of the king wherever he will. And so he inclines their hearts against David so that their rejection becomes his salvation. Third way that we see his providence in action here. David doesn't know it yet, and neither do we without reading ahead. But David's presence is sorely needed back in Ziklag at home. In fact, that's where the next chapter takes up David has been returning to Ziklag and finding a very bad situation there that needs their, uh, their help. And they don't know that, of course. They're just marching into battle now with Achish and the Philistines. And uh, so God, by having David rejected by the Philistines and sent back to Ziklag, provides for the need of the families of David and his men in Ziklag by having them sent back there before the battle begins. So again, that's a little bit like we haven't looked at that yet. So unless you've read ahead chapter 30 to know what happens there, that sounds a little bit mysterious to you. But the events of chapter 30 are a situation that needed David and his men to intervene. And had he been marching into battle against Israel, they would not have been able to help. So God's providence not only rescues David from the battle, but it also allows him to go and fight and help the situation back at their home. And the fourth and and a final way that I'll mention today that that God's providence is seen clearly in these verses is that David's absence from this battle and indeed his distance from the action entirely, because he's going to go back to Ziklag, miles away from where the battle is, will protect his reputation among the people of Israel when it comes time for him to ascend the throne. Were he to be found fighting against Israel or to be seen as complicit in the death of Israel's king, as we know that Saul will fall in battle, he would surely have earned for himself a host of enemies among God's people and more obstacles in his pathway to the throne. He's had enough obstacles, don't you think? So God's preserving grace toward his anointed is seen in that he will have David many miles away from the battle when Saul falls. So his innocence will be indisputable. So all through this story and the way that it unfolds and the rejection of David by the the Philistine leaders and sending him back home to Ziklag, you see God is clearly putting pieces together. God is clearly making these situations work according to his perfect plan. David probably has no idea that it's happening that way. David probably doesn't know until he looks back to see, look what God just did. And isn't that how it usually works in our lives with God's providence? So often we can't see God's work when we're in the midst of situations unfolding. So often we see what God's been doing when we look back on our lives. This is how God cares for us. How kind and wise and attentive is our sovereign God to his people. Dale Ralph Davis says, Is it not then the task of the church and of the individual believer to go back over life and experience and try to itemize those moments when Yahweh was clearly but quietly present to save and support As you ponder the ground you've traveled, the murky stuff the Lord has carried you through, the twists and turns of your life, can you not see glimpses of silent mercy, of quiet care? There was no noise or tempest. Yahweh was there, but not obviously. It's the way that God works so often. Not in big, bold, loud, trumpet-blasting-in-your-face kind of ways. Wow, look, God just did something incredible. It's usually in the quiet, seemingly ordinary events of life and decisions of people and circumstances unfolding that we can look back and see, look how God brought us to where we are. Look how God delivered us from a situation that we had no idea how we were going to get out of it. This is how God works. If you're in a season of your life where God seems very quiet, or you're wondering, where are you, God? What are you up to? Take heart. Be confident that He is working for your good. Just remember that often His work is very quiet. And sometimes unnoticeable until you have the benefit of hindsight to look back. Look what God has done. <laughs> well, just as David's rejection leads to the rescue of his people and paves the road for his future kingdom. You can see how God has weaved that all together. So David is rejected by the Philistines and that becomes the means by which he and his men are rescued and in fact the means by which the future kingdom of David when he ascends to the throne is uh, the pathway there is, is cleared and, and strengthened because of those obstacles of people's of his reputation and him having fought against Israel all of that is no longer a concern. Because God's removed him from that situation. So David's rejection leads to the rescue of his people. And paves the road for his future kingdom. Which sounds a bit like David's future son. Great, 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 great grandson down the line. Jesus of Nazareth. Who came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Jesus was rejected Hebrews 12.3 says consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. Jesus knew what it was like to be rejected. Jesus was rejected in his own hometown. Jesus was rejected by his own family. For a long stretch of his life and his public ministry, his own brothers didn't believe in him. They grew up with him and he started doing this, this public ministry and these miracles and teaching and they didn't believe him. That was, that was the, the kind of response that Jesus got at home. And of course we know that the rejection that Jesus will eventually endure is far greater than just some people not liking him or some family members who look sideways at him and think he's weird or, or out of his mind. Jesus' rejection will take him to a cross outside Jerusalem where he will endure the sin of his people. Jesus is rejected so that he can become the sin offering for his people and thereby become the rescue for his people. Isaiah 53 is a chapter where uh, the prophet of Israel looks forward and, and, and prophesies concerning the servant of of God, And it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful chapter summarizing the work of Jesus in being rejected and, and in bearing the sins of his people. Listen to just a little bit of this language. In, uh, in verse 3 of Isaiah 53, it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus knew what it was to be rejected. He knew what it was to be belittled and dishonored. To be despised. But if you consider his rejection leading to the rescue of his people, it also paves the road for his future kingdom. Because Jesus is the true anointed one of God who would usher in an eternal kingdom. And just a few verses later in Isaiah 53, it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And then it goes on to say, let me find uh, find this chapter real quick. The chapter ends... With this forward-looking victory that comes to the servant because of the suffering that he endures. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. They made his grave with the wicked, All right. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, he has put him to grief. And then it says, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, here's the response of God, the Father, to the the rejection and suffering endured by Jesus. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. The kingdom of Jesus was ushered in because of the suffering and rejection of Jesus. Jesus bore the sins of his people and thereby gained for himself and for all his followers a kingdom that would never perish that will go on forever and ever and ever. In fact, the word tells us that we who trust in him and are united to him by faith will reign with him when his kingdom comes. An amazing reality. Just as David was rejected and that rejection led to the rescue of his people and paved the road for his future kingdom. So, Jesus, in an infinitely greater scope and an infinitely higher cost to himself is rejected and bears the sins of His people and rescues us from judgment and condemnation and paves the road for this future eternal kingdom that we get to participate in with Him by His grace. What an amazing reality that Jesus has accomplished and purchased for us. Friends, if you have not rested your life and your eternity in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, recognizing that his rejection became your salvation, recognizing that his suffering was to endure your sins, recognizing that by just trusting in him, by confessing your sin to God, resting your life and eternity upon him, Friends, you could do that today. This could be a day of new life and a day of eternal hope. If you've never done that, we would love to talk with you about that after the service. And if God is working in that way in your heart, just let somebody know and let's, uh, let's talk about that together. But for all of us, for those of us who are trusting in Christ, who have been redeemed and made new by the sacrifice, let's look to, not to David as the anointed King of Israel, but let's look to the, f- the future and forever King, the Lord Jesus, and rest our lives and our souls and our eternities upon Him and what He's accomplished for us. Let's pray together.